Good morning. If you're new with us or you're just visiting, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. My name is Tim, and I'm one of the pastoral staff here at St. Mary's. Uh, I'll be concluding our current series. Uh, we're current, going through a series on what happens uh, on, on the last things, right? Uh, and today I'll be talking about what happens when a believer dies. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, help us to think rightly about what happens when we die. Help us to receive from you comfort for all those who are grieving. And if any here have any misconceived notions that would jeopardize the hope that you would give us, please correct us so that we may all live according to your truth. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. So as I mentioned, this is the last uh, of our series in this topic of the last things. Uh, in the past two weeks, we've looked at the resurrection judgment. What happens at the resurrection and judgment of Christ when Christ comes again, which ushers in what's called the final states. And that's what we looked at last week about the, the blessed hope of Christians ruling and reigning with Christ in a, in a physical creation that has no presence of sin, where unbelievers will perish in an eternal lake of fire. And that is the foundation of our Christian hope. The Bible will point us as Christians, look for, towards that hope. That should be the basis of why we live and why we, we, we live for Christ today. But if that's the case, from the resurrection to the final states, why should we be asking about what happens today to those who pass away? Why does it matter? I'll give two reasons. The first reason is simple. All of us here, and even those watching online, all one day will die. It's the truth. It's inevitable. All of us will one day die. Our time on earth is extremely limited. So we should be living as wise, not as unwise. Facing the reality that we will one day face our own death. Thus, this topic is prudent for us to be thinking about. Secondly, not just our own deaths, but what about the deaths of our loved ones who have passed on before us in Christ? How should we be thinking about where they are? What are they doing? What happened to them? And that's the second reason. And these two reasons became very real for me in my own experience. When, uh, as a teenager, at 17, I was strong in my assurance uh, in my life in Christ. I had dedicated, my, I, I got serious about my faith, and I was sure about my eternal fate. If I passed away at 17, I didn't fear death. Of course, my, my parents would be grieved, but I wouldn't, right? I'll be happy with Christ. What's the problem? No fear at all. Nothing to lose at 17. But then I grew up. I met my wife. I became a dad of two lovely young children. Um, and then death became something a bit more meaningful. Loss became more real as to what uh, I'll be saying goodbye to. So it became difficult. And as some of you know, two weeks later, after my, my first born, uh, my first child was born, I lost my own dad. And as I was thinking about what that means for my family, and as I was thinking about what it means that my dad has passed, where is he, what's he doing, I, I, I needed to know what does the Bible say about this? What can I really know? So, so much unhelpful things was, you know, in, in, in the church nowadays, what can we know for sure? What does the Bible say? 
And, and today's message is kind of like a culmination of all that I've dug into all those years. Uh, and I hope it will serve a comfort for you as it was for me. So I'll be examining this topic with three questions. What is death? Where do we go? And what will we do? And this you can see uh, in the outline uh, for you. And then I'll close with some closing implications of those two reasons I said just now. Okay? And the main idea for us to know is that believers need to face death in the truth of Christ. Let's begin. First, what is death? What, the, what does the Bible tell us that's important for us to know about death? Firstly, it's key to know that death was not God's original plan for humanity. That death entered into all of humanity from the very first human that God created. And we read this in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death truth sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. In one aspect of it, we inherited a, a guilty nature from our first father, Adam. So that's how sin came in. That's how physical death reigns in this world, in this order of creation. Death is the order of things today. But it's not just that. It's not just that we were innocent victims, bystanders. Oh, I didn't want to be put here, but I was put here because of something my ancestor did. No, death spread to all men because all sinned. That we ourselves have sinned. And therefore, something much worse than physical death awaits us after death. Because our sin, our personal sin, has offended a holy God. And what awaits after death, as we've seen in the previous week, is not pleasant. Because we are guilty of the offense of offending an eternal, holy God. You see, what happens right now, how, how I can explain it, is, like, is this. God is the source of all life and all goodness. He created everything and made it good. But humanity, in our rejection of the life and the goodness that God gives, when we turn away, the natural end is death and evil and corruption. And that's what we see today. That death, uh, like I said, death is the order of the world today. Nothing lasts forever, not even diamonds. And worse yet, death doesn't just make everything decay, but death makes everything meaningless. Everything in this world that people would strive to live for, death makes it meaningless because we can take none of it with us. None of it endures beyond the grave. Nothing of this world will endure because everything in this world is destined to die. And for those who will live for this world, and that's the end, would perish with the things of this world. But that's not what God wanted for us. Just as death wasn't God's original intent for humanity, this end to perish is not God's original intent for us as well. So he provided a way out and that's important for us to know. What did he do? At great cost to himself, he provided us a way of life. God sent his only son, Jesus, to enter into our humanity. And that's what Christmas, that's what we celebrate at Advent. The divine son of God becoming human, fully human, coming as a baby, growing as a human, sinless, so that he could bear the full consequences of our sin and our death by dying on the cross. And when, what he did in that was made it possible for us to be exchanging places with him because when we put our faith in Christ, the Bible says we have been united with him. 
So our sins, our death has been united in his act of death, fully satisfied. And when he rose again three days later, we're still united with him and we raise to life with him. So if you believe in life today, death is a gain. Death is not a loss because death only gives you more of Christ. If today you're listening amongst us and, and you're facing death without knowing Christ as your Lord, I implore you, I beg you, please don't face death without Christ as your Lord. As we've seen in the part previous weeks, there's only two outcomes for every human. Based on one question, God will ask you on the judgment day, what have you done with the Savior that God has provided? Have you received Him? Have you accepted His way of salvation? Or have you chosen to bear the consequences of your own sins upon your own head? And I, I implore, I wish no one would ever face that. But for those of us who are in Christ, we die. We're with Christ. We gain more of Christ. So what does it mean for where we go? Where do we go? The simple answer is that believers who die go to be with Christ. And I'll draw from two passages here. The first is in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21 to 23. Paul says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which shall I choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. So, this is the, the secret of the victorious life. There's no way Paul could lose. If he lives, he lives for Christ, his purpose, his mission, and that's it. And if he dies, he cashes in to all that he lived for, and he gets more of Christ. There's nothing you could do to Paul to defeat him. And that's what it means to Paul. But these are the two options, isn't it? And this is also clear. It's also clear in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, reading in verse 6. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. There is no in-between in the, between these two states. At death, the unbeliever will go to Hades, the place of death, the place of torment. But believers today who die in Christ will be with Christ where he is. Now, where is Christ? As the creeds say, he is seated on the right hand of Father in heaven. And this is based on scripture because in Acts chapter 7, uh, on the narrative on, on Stephen's stoning, when he's killed for his testimony, God gives him a vision. He sees heaven open and he sees Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father. And then they stone him to death. And as they stone him, he says, Jesus, receive my spirit. And the next instance in Acts is Paul himself. Before he became a Christian, before he believed in Christ, he was on the way to Damascus to persecute the church. And Jesus stopped him by appearing before him. From where? From heaven. He appeared and appeared before Paul from heaven. That's where Jesus is. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And that's where he is now. The point here is, if believers are with Christ immediately in heaven, there is no need for a cleansing before we go into Christ's presence. Because on the cross, Jesus bore our sins completely. On the cross, Jesus says, it is finished. No more punishment left to be done. No more, left, no more suffering left to, to, be, to be bored. 
because of our sins. Another demonstration of this, if, if I may illustrate this even more clearly, is the thief on the cross. You see, that those in church his, in history have held the idea that if we're going to be with Christ in heaven, surely, because we just passed from this earth in a state of sin, there should be some sort of cleansing before we go to heaven because nothing, un, nothing unholy and pure can, can exist in heaven, truly. Surely, and that's true. But... What do we see on the thief on the cross, his example? We see here a criminal who by his own admission deserved to be crucified. A criminal in the last act of his execution, guilty. But before he dies, says to Jesus, Lord, before, uh, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And what does Jesus say to him? In Luke chapter 23, verse 43, Jesus says to this thief, this, this sinner who's on the cross, says, today I say to you, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The guilty sinner on the cross, all he needed to do was to put his faith in Christ and he was given the assurance that he was with Christ that day itself. What more for those of us who have trusted in Christ for whom Romans 8 verse 1 would tell us that there is no more condemnation. So there is no need. The, need, the notion that needing a post-mortem uh, purgation or purging is not biblical and it undermines the biblical assurance that Christ gives us. Reading Article 22 from the 39 Articles, it says, the Romish doctrine concerning purgatory, pardons, worshipping and adoration, as well as images of relics and invocation of saints is a fond thing vainly invented and grounded upon no warranty in Scripture, but rather is repugnant to the Word of God. So we should be very assured. Where are they? They're in heaven with Christ. No waiting in period, no in between. Immediately, they are in Christ with heaven. And here I have a picture to illustrate this, to explain this, okay? So what's going on in the first skull? That what hap- that's what happened to the dead that happened before Christ. Before Christ died, uh, before Christ came into this world, all the dead went to the realm of the dead in Hades, which was separated to two places, the place of torment and the place of blessing or paradise or with Abraham. And that's what we read in Luke 16. Jesus, when he himself died, like I said, on the cross, he said, it's finished. So there was no more punishment to bear as he descended to the dead. And as Jesus said, he was in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. He was in the land of the blessed dead, proclaiming the gospel. And upon Christ's ascension into heaven, after his resurrection, he brought with him the saints who have gone of old, Abraham, uh, Isaac, David, Moses, Elijah, and brought with them with him to heaven. So today, today he's in heaven with all the saints uh, of old in the Old Testament. All the names we read in Hebrews 11 are there. And all the dead in Christ who died before us are there as well with him. Now, Hades still exists. It's still there. The place of torment is still there because on the day of judgment, Hades and all the dead that are in it will be thrown into the lake of fire. So that's where we can picture it. And of course, with the return of Christ, those who are still living on this earth will be resurrected together and Christ will bring uh, the, the saints who are with him, the souls with him, will be resurrected together and they will rule and reign on this earth in a new heavens and new earth where, where there is no sin. That's the timeline of where we are and what will happen, okay? 
So if that's what's happened, that's where they are, they're in heaven right now, what are they doing? And that's the third question, isn't it? Here's the thing. Uh, in, the his, in, the, in church history, church fathers and church, uh, Christians of old have held to one notion, uh, that is of soul sleep. What does that mean? It means when one dies, one is not conscious. And one only comes awake at the resurrection. So imagine this, if for you, how would you experience death? You close your eyes in death, you fall asleep, you're unaware, and the next moment you open your eyes, you see the resurrection. You see all the saints of old with you. Wow! And you rule and reign with Christ in the next moment. Isn't that beautiful? And I can see the appeal of such a picture. Unfortunately, I believe there's, part, there's hints uh, of what the Bible says happens after death that would contradict that. Okay? Now, we cannot know for sure exactly uh, what is the activity of the souls of those who have believed and passed on. We do not know for sure. The scriptures not exhaustively tell us what they do. But there's a few things we can tell. And here's where I'll draw it from. Firstly, we saw in our gospel reading just now from Luke chapter 16 of how the, the dead of uh, Lazarus and the rich man interacted with Abraham. Those were not the words of those who are asleep, but conscious, conscious torment. That was the rich man, isn't it? But some would say, oh, that's just a parable. You can't draw uh, the principles of, of what happens in the afterlife based on a parable. Okay, let's look elsewhere. I would look instead to the Mount of Transfiguration in Luke chapter 9. It's recorded in all the Synoptic Gospels, but I like the, the, the depiction in Luke chapter 9, verse 30 to 31. You see, this happened when Jesus took three of his closest disciples to a mountain in private. And there in private, Jesus revealed his glory. His clothes became a blinding white. He revealed his glory before his disciples. And who was with him? He wasn't alone. Moses and Elijah were beside him. And in Luke 9 records for us that they were talking, Moses and Elijah were talking with Jesus about his coming trial in Jerusalem, about the cross he was to face. You see, Moses died more than a thousand years ago and Elijah more than, more than a few hundred years ago, but they were not locked in to the times of their deaths. They were aware of God's unfolding plan, aware enough that they know that Jesus was going to Jerusalem to fulfill God's plan even when his disciples who were with him were clueless. That Moses and Elijah were clued in to the unfolding of heaven's plan in the throne. Another symbol, uh, another image uh, before the throne is in Revelation 6, as we've read just now as well, the second reading, that the dead souls of the saints who were martyred for the faith, for the gospel, in Revelation 16, they were crying out to God, how long, O Lord? They were aware of time. They were not unaware. They knew. It's, they were waiting for a long time. How long, O Lord, until you avenge our blood, until you, you come again and, and, and culminate your judgment upon this earth? And they were told to wait. Those were not the words of those who are unconscious, isn't it? And of course, how does the activity of heaven link with the activity of church uh, on, on earth in Luke 15? This is indirectly implied, and we may not get much out of this. But it's interesting that when Jesus says in Luke 15, verse 7 and 10, that there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. And again in verse 10, he repeats, there's more rejoicing among the angels over the repentance of one sinner. Now, we're not sure who's rejoicing. We just know that the rejoicing is done in heaven. 
We know that angels travel, are ministering spirits that are on earth and in heaven, so we do not know for sure. This does not def definitely tell us anything. And unfortunately, there's more questions that come up as I say this, isn't it? What are they doing? Do they see us? Do they send us signs? Uh, do they grieve over what they see? And, and I, I feel this. When, when, like I said, when, when I lost my dad, I became a father. And I felt that intensely when uh, I realized, in my own experience creating my son, I realized of all the moments that my dad had loved me. My dad and I didn't have the greatest relationship growing up. We, we fought a lot. Okay? Uh, I, I thank God that we mended things before he passed. But then there were moments of revelation where I was like, oh, I see now. I see now that, I'll, I'll, that you know, at that moment, even though I was, I was angry at you, I see that you were loving me. I wish I could have tell, told him. I wish he would have known. I wish he would have sent me a sign. I get that. Okay? But scripture doesn't tell us that. That they hear or they know what we're going through. But rather, Scripture would point us to take comfort in God. So we are meant to, to, to be assured of a few things that Scripture says clearly. Number one, the dead in Christ who have passed on before us are home with Christ. Their pilgrimage has ended. They no longer suffer. They're no more in pain. They are home with Christ. They, uh, the next thing we can know is that with all the saints who have passed on before, they behold what God does before his throne. They know, they're clued into the activity of heaven. They know what God is doing. And the, the last thing that we can be sure of is that they await the resurrection just like we do. And that's what 1 Thessalonians 4 tells us. We will be reunited. If Christ comes while we are still alive on this earth, we'll meet, they will be resurrected together. They will be resurrected, they will get their resurrection bodies, and so will we, and we'll meet them, and, and that's where we will be reunited. Again, I repeat, we are not sure of what they perceive of us, but scripture is, what scripture is clear about is to not communicate with the dead. And those prohibitions are clear because we're not meant to know. We're not meant to worry over them. We're not meant to pray to them. But we're meant to fully entrust them to Christ. And we can truly say that they are in a better place because they are with Christ. And even though it's intermediate, the intermediate state is far more blessed than life right now on this earth. So some closing implications for us, okay? So even as we've learned about the resurrection and the final states of new heaven and new earth, we, it's very important to realize that all of that, we enter into that in the moment of our death on earth. The moment of our physical death locks us in to our eternal destinies. At death, it will be too late to repent, too late to try to be good or to clean yourself. It'll be too late. The only time to repent, the only time we're given to be earning treasures in heaven is this life right now. So, with that in mind, how will we face our death as well as the death of the loved ones? For our own death, what does it mean for our life right now? It means that we do not make 
our, the, the purpose, the end goal of our life to terminate on this earth and the things of this earth, career, family, or material possessions or comfort, because all of this will end. Jesus says that where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And he urged us to store treasures in heaven. So I ask brothers and sisters, lovingly, is your treasure truly in heaven? Does how you spend your time, where you spend your time, who you spend it with, does the resources God gives you, where you are located, reflect that you hope more in heaven than on earth? Does the choices you make, or even the desires of your heart day by day, show more a desire for this earth or a desire for heaven? You see, if you live for this earth, desire things of this earth, you will regret because everything here will perish upon death. But the Christian who lives for Christ need not fear death, that there is no regret because all that we've done on this earth to honor Christ, to live for Christ, when we die, because this earth was not our home, when we die, not only will we be going home, but we'll be cashing in on the investment that we've made for Christ and for his glory. And that's when we would cash in on our investment. Death is not just going home, but a fulfillment of all that we've been living for. And that's for us. What about our loved ones? We grieve our loved ones who have passed on in Christ, but we don't lose hope. Because we know that we will see them, we know that we will hold their hands and walk with them in, in resurrection life. And all those favorite things that we did with them, we will once again do. Because they are alive in Christ. And they are in a better place as they wait for that with us. So there's comfort. But for our loved ones who, are, who have yet to pass on, who are with us, and who do not know Jesus, our time is short. Don't live as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Because we do not know when our last moment on earth will be. The only time we can have to repent is on this earth. So it's urgent. Given this season of Advent, what will you be doing with the good news of Christ? I hope that when we face Christ on the judgment day, we have no regrets and we'll be rejoicing together with the saints in heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the hope that you give us. We thank you that you desire that we live for more than this earth, that you give us an eternal hope, that you give us a life of eternal worth, worth living for, that may not be realized on this earth, but will be realized in eternity when we're with you. Help us, O oh Lord, if any of us here have been clinging on to this world, have maybe been distracted by comforts and anxieties of this world, and lead us, Lord, to life that only you can give. Help us uh, to be doing so for each other as we live as your community here on earth until the day that we see you again. We pray and ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.